welcome to Trucking Technology and Efficiency here on Spaces. I've got my co-host with me, Joel Morrow and Henry Albert. Good morning, guys. Good morning. How you doing? All right. Doing great. Um, we, uh, we have a theme this week. We are going to be talking specifically at the beginning here about fuel additives. I've got a long history with them. I'm going to go over mine. Joel, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. You've got an even longer history and actually came to some conclusions that I wasn't able to. So I've learned from that. And over the years, I've shifted and changed about this. So I'll kind of give my history. Joel, let you do the same. Henry, you and I haven't really talked about this. Have you done a lot of testing with fuel additives? I I wouldn't say it's testing. I started using more so than testing. Okay. Okay, so we'll we'll let you chime in with your results as well, and then uh, listeners can jump in with stories, questions, testimonials, whatever you got. I- I'm going to add three things that people probably don't think of when they think of fuel additives, but I've tested two of them extensively and researched one and decided not to even bother with it. So I'm talking about either propane injection, hydrogen injection, or water injection into a diesel engine. Um, Propane and hydrogen I tested extensively. I'm not going to go over my history unless somebody asks me. I've got a lot. If we want to talk about that, we can. Um, In the beginning here, I'm going to primarily focus on what we think of, you know, you buy a bottle at the truck stop, you dump it in, what happens kind of thing. So I'm just going to jump in and and get started. Um, I go way, way back on this. In fact, I'll go all the way back. The first additive that I used on a regular basis and was completely convinced that it helps, although I had absolutely no proof other than my own experience. And sometimes we can all fall victim to the placebo effect. We do something, we want to see results, and then we think we see them. That's all I have from this early stuff. I wasn't into testing yet. I didn't even know how. Um, First additive... Um, I bought my first truck, and my dad told me uh, it was a 6V92 Detroit. And my dad said, every couple of times you fuel, dump in a quart of automatic transmission fluid. So I bought a case of automatic transmission fluid and threw it in the behind the seats. My truck was a day cab, and every now and then, every couple of fuel ups, I'd put it in, and I'd swear it ran better and cleaned things out. And I, I have no proof. Um, I have no idea if it really worked or not. Uh, back then, lots of companies were known for if they had waste oil heaters or if they did their own services and changed their own oil. It was a common practice to dump that used oil into their fuel tanks. Used to do it all the time. Um, here, there was another product from Cummins, actually. I had a my second truck, cab over Astro with a 350 big cam. And it had a system on there where I had a, like a, thinking it was like a three gallon canister mounted on the back of the cab and you filled it with oil and it injected that oil into your fuel system. It was also tied into your oil system. So once you installed this, this was also your oil fill. So you'd just keep putting fresh oil into this thing, and that would top off your crankcase, but it would also burn some through the fuel system. And, you know, Cummins 
there was some advantage to doing that, obviously. Um, emissions and a bunch of other things stopped that kind of stuff. So I go way back with this, and then I learned how to test, and I got multiple trucks and started testing fuel additives. And my advice for a long time was if you have a fuel additive that, you know, maybe cleans your injectors or takes care of bad fuel, maybe helps the fuel quality a little bit and, and you like it, go ahead and keep using it. I could not prove any kind of cost effective um, additive. And, and even though I couldn't, it doesn't mean they weren't working. I just couldn't find a way to prove that they were making my bottom line better. And that, that was always my approach to almost everything. So for years, I said, don't bother. If you have one you like, you want to dump it in once in a while to clean injectors, go ahead. It's not a big deal. If you think you're putting in an additive every fuel up and it's actually saving you money, you're probably wrong. Um, I, I was probably wrong on some of it long term, just some stuff I just wasn't able to test. Uh, Joel, I know when you tell your story, you tested a lot. You also had the advantage of the fleet of trucks where you get more numbers and you can prove more things. So uh, at some point, I started listening to what you were saying about additives. And I, I tried cetane and I tried all kinds of crazy stuff. I tried Russian nano diamonds. Uh, yeah, um, all kinds of crazy stuff. And honestly, I could just never say, look, if you use this, your cost goes down by even a half a cent a mile. I was just never able to prove a cost savings. So, and I will also say this, most of my fleet for years was late 90 or throughout 90s and then early 2000 series 60 engines i had dozens of them i will say that i ran those things for a million plus usually about a million two or a million three was when i would just get rid of them never ever used an additive never replaced an injector on any of those trucks and never had any real fuel related issues that i thought i needed to solve so for me in my world i just could not find a reason to use additives Today, it would be a very different take. I would use them, but here's what we've got to know. Joel, I, both, both of you, I think you'll agree with me on this. This is a very, very nuanced area. We can't make blanket statements about many of these things at all. They, there are some additives that we now know can help very specific situations, but even that's not across the board. You got a lot of variables in there. So if you're looking for some really clear blanket statements that always use this fuel additive and it's going to save you money, yeah, I, I doubt that we're going to have any of those today. So that's my take. And I can certainly answer a lot of questions as well. Um, but I'll turn it over to Joel. Joel, Joel give us a, a summary of what I just said and then give us a <laughs> Sure. So um, I, I will agree with everything that you said as it applies to pre-emissions trucks. So when we look back on those engines, the tolerances weren't really, really tight. We didn't have super high pressure injection. We weren't dealing with a lot of um, nucleation points in the fuel system. We weren't dealing with a lot of high temperature in the fuel system at that time. Um, pretty straightforward, pretty durable engines. Uh, we weren't catching emissions, so we had no real way to gauge our success in reducing emissions because we simply weren't catching anything. 
Um, if we were blowing particulate in the air, who cares? You know, and right. I agree 100% with you. If you're running a non-emission engine and you don't give a damn about particulate coming out the stack, uh, it would be extremely, extremely hard to cost justify any type of fuel treatment. Uh, those engines would basically burn just about anything. Uh, and to your point, we used to, common sentinel system used to dump used engine oil into the fuel system as you were going down the road. Yep. Uh, kind of, kind of the opposite of fuel treatment. Actually. <laughs> so, and, and the engines ran just fine. So that with the, with the diesel fuel that, that we, we had uh, lots of changes to diesel fuel in general, since that time period, you know, we're on the ultra low sulfur now. Uh, we have a lot of biodiesel in the mix now that we never really had in the past. Biodiesel attracts water and absorbs water into the fuel. Um, we have lower lubricity in today's fuel, but we have higher demands because of the higher or the closer tolerances on injectors and fuel pumps. We have much more complicated fuel systems that elevate fuel temperature because we have return fuel that has been subjected to much higher injection pressure um, running running through the system through the fuel pumps and whatnot so just a much more sophisticated engine today than than what you were dealing with and and um, therefore requires a higher quality diesel fuel and unfortunately the quality of American diesel fuel has kind of went backwards it has not kept pace with the technology and the engines. And in my opinion, this is one of the major causes or one of the major sources of headaches we have with emission system problems. Now, everybody that follows me is well aware of how we talk about, you know, piston speed and whatnot and how that impacts emission. The other big driving factor here is diesel fuel quality in a very highly engineered engine. When we look at the Europeans, they have much higher standards for diesel fuel than what we do. Higher cetane, higher lubricity, better cleanliness, just better all the way around. Um, and that's a big part of the reason why we'll see certain engines introduced in Europe. They won't have a minute's problem with them. And they do have different emissions levels of what we do. Um, it's important to understand that they are not any better than what we are in terms of they're just different standards. Um, everybody seems to think that they have much tighter standards for emissions, and actually that's probably not the case. But any, anyway, um, they do have much better diesel fuel, so it's easier for them to run these engines without issue. Um, so our introduction to fuel treatment in our fleet, um, right as the emission engines were coming out, we were running Freightliner Columbia's with the Mercedes engines in them, um, and we were struggling. So we thought, okay, you know, fuel treatment is supposed to help reduce emissions and, you know, keep things cleaner in general. And, and what we had done was at that time we were running short regional. The trucks were always back in the yard uh, every weekend. All the trucks were. And we went out, we were doping the tanks without the driver's knowledge. And almost immediately we started getting feedback from the drivers. Oh, thanks for uh, getting my truck in the shop and tuning it up type of things. You know what hey, I mean? Let me jump in there real quick. Because 
that to me is a really important thing. And I used to do that a lot too. make mm-hmm. changes to the truck and don't tell the driver. Correct. Then, then there, that takes away that possibility for the placebo bias that we can't control ourselves. I, I, I will tell you just real quick on the placebo thing. That is such a hard thing to deal with, especially when you put a lot of work and effort into a particular project. Yep. You're trying to will it to work. And when your numbers aren't going right, you almost unconsciously are trying to fudge numbers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very, it, very it's difficult to do. That, it, that's it, exactly right. It's a big, big factor. And you and I have both dealt with this. It's so Somebody hard. Somebody asked yes. us about a fuel mileage strategy and you give it to them and they immediately come back to you after their first tank and go, Oh my God, this was amazing. I picked up eight tenths of a mile per gallon. It and didn't happen. Is, yeah, no, you didn't. No, I did. I did. Look, I know you did, but you cannot, you cannot believe that it was that you, you just can't, but everybody wants. To. Yes. Yes. You're, you're exactly right. So, that feedback is what really spurred us to continue just that alone. We hadn't even really tracked any numbers as far as maintenance costs or fuel mileage gains. It was just immediate, you know, that these guys are coming back and they're noticing something and they don't even know it's in the tank. So, and that's a big uh, deal. Uh, th- that, that is a big deal. Just on the driver retention issue alone it would have probably cost justified itself in a fleet situation. Yep. So yeah, definitely, definitely a big deal. So over time, what we had noticed was, and especially as we started to get into trucks that had uh, the DPF, we track pressure differential rise over time. And that is kind of the key to tracking emission systems and understanding what they're doing, looking at that rise over time. And what we could show without a doubt that when you started to treat fuel with a cetane enhancement, that that pressure rise over time would slow. Okay. So we developed targets that said, once we get to a certain amount of restriction, we're going to pull the 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 filter out and wet wash it and put it back in and it got to be very significant um that 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 uh time delta between the two okay so once you understand that you're reducing the back pressure over time you're it's almost a given that your fuel mileage has to be better because you have less restriction right now and we hadn't measured it at that point yet but we we were really starting to get onto this that okay look this damn restriction we're getting an extra three or four months before the restrictive that, numbers hit the same targets that's big and yeah. two things the restriction itself hurts fuel economy we know that mm-hmm. but the other thing we know is if there is a restriction that's because we don't have complete combustion uh, it's it, there's more particulate it, that's exactly right, right. yes there right. there's more more particulate going on so so now we've got our drivers are a little happier they noticing it we can start to really clearly see this this pressure differential um uh, thing going on that was going on without a sh- beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was taking place so then we started to do some idle testing and as we're all well aware idle 
is probably idle time is probably the worst thing you can do for an emission system engine because you never really bring it up to operating temperature. It starts to produce a lot of particulate when they sit there and idle and it becomes problematic. Early on, we were doing this uh, testing with our D11 uh, equipped trucks and like clockwork with a D11 and, and these would have been Oh, I'm thinking 2009, 10, right around, maybe 11, right in that time period, I believe. Um, the, the point is, is that we would take them out, we would let them idle. They would go like, like clockwork. They'd go 10, 10 and a half hours, and they would have to do a regen. And it's just the way it was. And we took a truck, rolled it in the shop, got everything perfectly clean, ran the overhead. Everything was spot on. We would take it out. We would run it. It would go 10, 10 and a half hours, have to do a regen. Uh, <laughs> you put fuel treatment in it, it would go 14, 15 hours. Okay. And it would do it every time. Yeah. Um, so here we got another thing saying to us that, okay, we, we really think this stuff's working. So right in the same time period as we were doing all this testing and we were gathering data, none of it by itself was definitive, but as you started adding it all together, it was starting to make sense. Well, right in this time period at some point, um, you know, things were really getting crappy rate-wise, and um, as a cost-cutting measure – we decided, you know what, let's just, we got to quit buying this fuel treatment. It's expensive, you know, to buy a 55-gallon <laughs> drum. It's expensive. So, it is. so we it's quit. Right. We quit. And we quit for around eight months. We were watching our maintenance cost and, and comparing that to historical norms. And over that eight months, our maintenance cost for a fleet, and I think maybe we were 20 trucks at the time. I don't remember the exact number. We were up almost $125,000 over that eight months. Wow. We started Holy buying. Shit, that's crazy. Fuel. Yes, we started buying fuel treatment again, and that came right back down to norms. And we're thinking, okay, what so, in the hell? Where where was all this cost? And I, this is this is where a lot of this was. And if you really track your cost, you know how expensive this gets. So yeah, we didn't really see a whole lot in fuel injector differences in replacement. A little bit better when we were on fuel treatment. Same thing with the VGT turbos. That was a uh, uh, more of an improvement because we were reducing the particulate and soot the the little slider ring and stuff on the, on the turbo was staying cleaner and so we didn't see as much uh problems with the vgt um and at that point that's the only technology that we had was was vgt right um but where we noticed it was changing fuel filters in the yard on a Sunday and road calls to change fuel filters. Wow. It, it just, okay. I mean, it was, it was huge. In fact, um, my maintenance manager, uh, Jerry's maintenance manager, Shane, he was starting to complain. I got to come in every freaking Sunday. It's supposed to be my day off because That's... I've got eight or 10 trucks. That That's a gotta, bad sign. <laughs> we've got to pull the fuel filters and change fuel filters, you know, and and the guys were bitching. And and then we started to have people in in winter, not necessarily gelling up, but they were having fuel system problems because we had that asphaltine accumulation. And then it got cold on top of the asphaltine accumulation. And then you'd have plug ups. And um, that's where we learned in our application that it makes sense just to reduce the fuel filter road calls and change outs 
it's it's worth it for our fleet. Got it kept it. the drivers happy. Yeah. They weren't delayed on Sunday. They weren't delayed to your customers. Because when you start to figure in all that downtime on fuel filter, and I know it sounds stupid, like, okay, to an owner-operator, it's like, oh, I'll just get out and you know swap out fuel filters. That That's true, but that doesn't apply in a fleet situation. So. Well, and, and even if it does, it, mm-hmm. think about it. If we're clogging the filter that fast, we've got other problems. Our fuel economy isn't where it should be. Our performance isn't where it should be. We are wasting time and money to go out and put another filter on. So. I, I, I get it. And your story and your experience makes total sense for me how where I ended up because I tried to refuse emission engines. I held out as long as I could. I built gliders. Um, I ended up with that crazy Mercedes as my only emission engine. And that was a mistake that I, I never wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't test anything on that truck because it was constantly broke down and being <laughs> Now I hear you. So now today, where this really starts to become important, we see these crazy long, or what some people would consider crazy long, oil change intervals right out of the factory. Yep. I think Henry's out to 75,000. I think Volvo does 65,000. So if you're not treating diesel fuel, we could never make our fuel filters match our service intervals when we treat fuel now everything matches and we can just run my brother can just run everything through the shop and take care of everything and and that's a huge cost savings to him so absolutely as a fleet he's a huge believer in in this i mean it's it it is a big big deal and not for the reasons that you would probably expect you know you get these you get these jokers oh now you're burning 100 percent of the fuel instead of 75 that's <laughs> all horseshit i mean it just is I, right does right. it does it burn a little cleaner it absolutely does you get a little less particulate the other part of the piece of the puzzle that you have to think about with today's modern engines is the very tight tolerances on things you get very right. very tight tolerance on the volvo just for an example and i'm sure henry has examples of stuff like this so in our upgraded fuel injector we went to a seven hole injector from a four and the seven holes in the injectors they they match the divots in the wave piston and it it turns that spray pattern in on itself to concentrate the burn we went from four holes that, you know, they look like soda straws, basically, to <laughs> just very small pinpricks. So it's it's extremely important to keep that stuff clean. Um, IDIDs are another thing that you'll hear people talk about that in the past, internal injector deposits, it wasn't a big deal. Injectors would keep on a fire, and it just it wasn't a big deal. Today, as tight as the tolerances are and as much injection pressure as we're developing – and multiple injections per stroke, IDIDs become a, a big deal. You got to keep shit clean. Um, the lubrication, we all know Cummins is famous for fuel pumps letting loose and, and having problems. Those, the, you know, a lot more pressure they're having to develop to feed the rails and whatnot. So, uh, lubricity. Four or five years ago, if you would ask me if lubricity was a big deal, I would have said hell no. In fact, I did a lot of times. I'd say, I, I say that's a joke, too. you know. But today, completely different story. Lubricity is important. Keeping the injectors clean is actually important. And you can't do what we used to do. Automatic transmission fluid is designed specifically not to burn. And you're going to get right. all kinds of emission <laughs> issues if you start running that through your system. So you need something that can control that and 
and can burn. So over the years, we've tested a lot of different brands, um, mostly cetane-based brands. Uh, Cummins and now I understand PACR, they both actually recommend using fuel treatments now uh, for all the reasons we just discussed. Um, I think they are both recommending power service. I've used that in the past. It has worked well. Um, I have also used a, a product called Primrose. Um, it's kind of on the higher end of things price-wise. It worked very well. Uh, I am a fan of Hot Shot Secret. Uh, to me, it's the best combination of performance and cost. Um, and, and that's what I'm, I'm running currently and have been for quite a while. And, and it's, hey, Joel, what, it, it what seems um, to do a very good job overall. What's the specific product from Hotshot Secret? Somebody so there's there's two things that I run. Um, the one is called Everyday Treatment EDT, and you run it every day, just like the bottle says, and follow the dosing instructions on it. I run the the premium dose that's one ounce to twenty five gallons. Uh, they also have a performance dose that's two ounces to twenty five gallons. You can run either one. Um, I, I had run the two ounce for a long time. I'm currently running the one just to see what the, what the differences are. They also have a product called diesel extreme. Um, that is just a highly concentrated bottle of detergents that you dump in there. I do it once a month just to make sure that I'm, I'm keeping everything cleaned out as far as the IDIDs on the injector and the injector tips and whatnot. Um, when you start to break it down on price, it's very, very reasonable. Uh, it, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's very cheap to run. It's to me, it's, it's, it's cheap insurance. Right. Um, right. now I, I know we'll get the question about the catalyst. I always get it. Do you run it? I personally don't. Um, and this is kind of funny cause my best friend who I help spec a truck, he runs it and he loves it now right. to me that is a product that really, really helps if you have a sooty engine. I think that stuff probably is the best product on the market. If you have a soot issue, what we, a lot of trucks do. Yes, that's right. Now, and we'll explain why too. Why would one truck be really sooty and not another? We'll get to that. Correct. If that product would have been available back when emission systems first came out, I probably would have been all over that because everybody had problems at that would point. would have been huge, right? You know, yeah, it would have been a very big thing. Now, let me let me stop you there too. Mm-hmm. Two sure. things I want to jump in on. One, I'll come back to the catalyst, but I also got thinking about this. I said, you know, we're talking about fuel additives, but I threw in hydrogen, propane, water. Mm-hmm. I think it's also not a bad time to be talking about the air dog. You know, we talked sure. about injector tolerances, and sure. and and that's why the a, a product like the Air Dog can become so important on these new engines. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, just a, a real quick rundown on on what what the Air Dog does, um, and where it, it maybe is a little bit unique from the competition. Uh, there are there there is a certain amount of cavitation that occurs. Uh, at the front or the in the intake side of a mechanical fuel pump. 
And there's no way around that. There, there's always going to be, well, there is a way around it. We're going to tell you how to get around <laughs> yeah, that. But right. there, there, the cavitation occurs. Yeah. If you just have a mechanical fuel pump, you're going to have cavitation. As you're driving down the road, fuel tanks slosh around. Um, they trap air in the fuel, so to speak. Um, sometimes I refer to this as inert gases that Wait. get into the, into the fuel. Uh-huh. I hate to keep interrupting you, but I, I don't want to miss some of these points. Um, is it true, because I've been using the FAST system for years, which is similar, some mm-hmm. differences. I'm, I'm, I, I can like both of them for different reasons on different trucks right now. Um, mm-hmm. But from my experience and research, the problem of entrained air in the fuel has actually gotten worse on the new modern engines. Is that correct? Um, I... I, I... It, it has a bigger impact. I don't okay. know that it's it's gotten okay. worse, but it has an outsized impact, and and Got we'll it. get into into that why. So uh, I, actually, I think today's modern engines probably return a little less fuel to the system than the old old trucks um, do. So um, the actual volume of air may be slightly less, but the impact is bigger. So. Any anyway, um, some of the some of the things that the electric lift pump does when you're putting a small amount of pressure to the inlet of your mechanical fuel pump is you eliminate that cavitation, and that cavitation is localized heat. It's not really air, although you do have some entrained air from the fuel tank that's going to go through the system. As those gears are coming together, you get localized hot spots, and there's little actual little flash explosions going on inside that fuel and that creates little carbon molecules um, and it creates this I'm going to call it an inert gas for lack of a better word that also is going in there along with all the entrained air that you had in the system once you get past the fuel pump now you've got turns and bends and all this craziness going on a lot of the fuel systems look like spaghetti I mean, I mean, there's valving and all kinds of bullshit. Anytime you have a turn, an obstruction in line, that is what they call a nucleation point. And on the back side of that bend, turn, or obstruction, you get another little localized hot spot. And that creates another little carbon molecule and a little bit more inert gas. So you have this issue all the way through the fuel system. The fast and the air dog on the front side of the fuel pump are both handling uh, the entrained air out of the fuel tank. They're getting rid of, of that for the most part. You know, they're getting rid of a lot of the moisture and, and doing a good job of filtering. They both do a good job of that. They're putting that gentle pressure on the front side of the pump and they're taking care of that big source of cavitation right there. And that increases the efficiency of your fuel pump when you're running at low or very high RPM. That's where you see a torque and horsepower improvement is at very low and very high RPM. Where we start to differ between fast and air dog is on the back side of the fuel pump or on the outlet side. Air dog has a system that I'm actually field testing right now that we're going to remove that inert gas a second time after it goes through the filter head and through the filters because there are all those nucleation points. So we're removing that, you know, potential to produce asphaltine and and really driving it down again before it goes into the injection pump. So there's kind of a second layer with the air dog system that the fast system doesn't have. Um, 
and it it does make a pretty big difference and and you can see that in if you have uh if you pull apart a filter and you start looking at that black asphalt accumulation on the filters yeah um, it'll significantly reduce that asphalt accumulation also it helps improve injection timing as well because you're taking all that inert gas so when you compress things inside the injector there's no hydraulic kind of bounce in there it's it's going to have a nice smooth um uh, compression on the fuel and you're going to have slightly higher fuel pressure at the nozzle and it's going to be timed just slightly better and you know you see a reduction in knocks uh, especially when your your timing is on and you take the inert gases out of the out of the fuel system so that's basically how they work they are the real deal uh, either brand works. My preference is, is for the Air Dog. It's a little simpler to install, or it was. I guess Fast has a similar thing going on now where they can see into the factory <laughs> <course>. return. Um, <laughs> right. So co- competition's good, right? So that's right. Exactly. That's always a good thing. But um, uh, so let's I, yep. let's address this because mm-hmm. you and I have both had to deal with this way too many times. But we've got a lot of new listeners here. You mm-hmm. just talked about an aftermarket add-on to the engine mm-hmm. and i can't count how many times somebody says that's all bullshit if that worked the oem would already do it they've got engineers and they're smart and they know this you're half correct they do have engineers they know this stuff but the engineers don't get to build trucks accountants build trucks and the aftermarket is where a lot of new technology actually takes hold and gets proven. And sometimes it actually makes it into the OEM eventually. Here's a good example. I started using bypass filtration in the mid nineties and I swore by it and pushed it hard and still do. And what do almost maybe every new OEM, what do they have on trucks now? Sure. They've, they've all got bypass filtration. And 30 and, years later. Yes. And I could talk specifically about this because I do have a very good working relationship with engineers at the OEM level. And a lot of times they're very curious of this stuff. Unfortunately, you may have a very, very good product like, like I believe the Air Dog is. Um, it is extremely hard to take something like that and industrialize it at the spur of the moment. That just doesn't happen. Right. Um, also, it has to go through the full-fledged EPA testing. That's millions of dollars, and it's extremely <laughs> difficult to schedule that type of stuff as well. So a lot of the guys that I, I work with, they'll look at that and they'll go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. They just can't integrate that tomorrow it doesn't work that way it, it takes years and years to get that type of integration and now the big problem is is that they just want to spend money on electric and hydrogen and they don't yep. want to put a lot of money into internal just, combustion yeah yeah, yeah. Right. so so yep. it's 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 not that these ideas are are bullshit and snake oil like all these people like to claim there's a lot of science here science is is what it is it's it's physics and, and, it's it's chemistry and also Chemist- a lot of chemistry is a real results. thing well right. and, and and here's the thing you know everybody's like oh that that fuel treatment that's bullshit it's snake oil well look i work with a company like basf 
BASF could buy Freightliner and Volvo 10 times over. They're <laughs> right. that big a company worldwide. Right. I mean, they, they're, they're just huge. BASF does not sell any product directly to the public. They sell chemical components hey, they, to people that make these types of products. They used to. They did they, used to. That is I correct. used to buy cassette yes. tapes from BASF. Yes, yes. That, that's, <laughs> and they, make compu- they made all kinds of stuff back right. in the day. Right, But you know, they, I guess they just decided to concentrate on snake oil, right? No, that's right. what they do. They do chemistry. That's their whole friggin' business. And to suggest that every fuel treatment out there is snake oil, it's just craziness. It is chemistry. It all has a place. If you understand, you need to identify what do you want this to do? You know, what is your targets for success? Um, when we first started using it, we didn't even know that. We just you know, let's throw this in and see what happens. You really got to pay close attention. Like you said, the placebo effect is very strong. You know, you just, especially when you're a one truck owner operator and you're doing something you think is different than everybody else, you really want that to work. You know, I, I you want to be smarter than everybody else. It's just the <laughs> right. way it is. It's that's the way it works. The other thing here, and I'll, I'll kind of close up with this is that and this is something we could probably spend a whole nother show on when we talk about tracking fuel efficiency and this kind of all ties in. So when we look at an app like fuel gauges, which, you know, you've done a hell of a good job on that. You've got a a 30, 60, 90, a lifetime. There's a lot of information on that. The great thing about fuel gauges is is when you're entering something, if you screw up, it's going to tell you, you can go back through and look. And if you're just doing it on a piece of paper, you you don't have that benefit of that second set of eyes, making sure that your data is entered in the right order and your miles are in the right order and whatnot. It's very easy to turn it around. So we've always had this conundrum. You've had fuel gauges, you've had, IFTA and you've had telematics tracking right and they're all three going to give you different results but they're all three correct and how can that be <laughs> how can that possibly be right so right. the quick answer and I put actually my guy my back office guys putting together a very nice report about this that's going to be out there and available and I suggest that everybody read this so the quick answer is is that fuel gauges app is event-based so you record miles and gallons at a specific event not a time it's at an event right so when we go 30 60 90 your event base doesn't really fit well it's 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 putting that round round peg into a square hole at that point so your right. 30 60 90 you can only use that as an as an indicator of the trend and to compare to itself. Yes. Right. It's just trend based. It is not meant to judge the efficacy of any particular product. Correct. You can't do that. And, and just real quick, here's why. So if you have a truck that has large fuel capacity, if you do a bunch of partial fill-ups, um, it's going to throw those numbers within a time frame, but it will still be accurate from event to event. It'll be dead accurate from event to event, but there will be um, a delta in a particular time frame. So you I'm always on. have to look yeah. at 30, 60, 90, and then you always have to look at that lifetime number to really understand what's going on. 
So a couple things on fuel gauges, mm -hmm. since that's what we're on right now. Thanks for bringing mm -hmm. it up. Um, fuel gauges is our free app. It's been around for over a decade. We've tweaked and improved, and um, we have uh, more than 5 million fuel tickets. I may have said six before. I think we did some cleanup. There's always those outliers and something like this. Somebody put something in wrong, and then they never correct it, or old accounts. So we went through and cleaned up the data. Um, and part of that is getting ready because I am working with a company now to turn AI loose on all of this data. And I think we might find some pretty yes. incredible trends. You know, yes. what I want to know of all the trucks in our system, what month do we get the best fuel economy and what month do we do the worst? Yes. And when you've got big enough numbers, and we do now, 5 million plus, you know, yes. fuel tickets, we yes. can get some very cool data out of there. Yes. Um, so I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. So, but you are right. We, you, it's like any other tool, the better, you know, how to use this tool, the better the data and information you're going to get out of it. So we're also going to start using some AI stuff in there to encourage people to fill out more fields. Yes. What was your average speed? What I mean, you can put in wind condition, you can put in weight, you can put in temperature. The more data people put in, the more we'll all learn from this. Yes. So, so you've got a you've got a, a great system over there to watch trend lines, and it is it it's great. It, it just is. And see, kind of the problem is is what people will take will take fuel gauges, and then they will look at um somebody with telematics and here's here's the problem we run into they'll take their 30 60 90 and they'll look at a 30 60 90 off of telematics and go that's not accurate <laughs> <laughs> well here here's what's happening so the telematics looks at everything time-based every second it's looking at gallons and miles from midnight at the beginning of the month till midnight at the end of the month. Right. Yep. There's so, the key right there. Right. Fuel capacity, partials, none of that makes any difference with telematics. So you can start to see why you'll have a delta between the two, but they're both right because one's measuring event to event. It's an event line. The other is a timeline. Then you get IFTA, which does both. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, you got to remember that IFTA is only there to collect taxes. If That's all. The, right. If the is not there to judge the efficacy or how well a product <laughs> works. That's not what if is for. So if the looks at your miles on a timeline, they want to know every mile, every second at every location, but they look at fuel as event to event. Right. So you are going to have significantly different numbers looking at fuel gauges looking at IFTA, and looking at a telematics report. Now, to And like point, you said, they're all correct. Yes, they are all correct. Yep. Yeah, trust right. me on this. And so just real quick, Henry, let me finish this thought, and I'll, I'll give you the floor because I know I've been taking everything. So um, just really, really quick here. So what I want to do is I'm going to take another – page in let's truck so i've got my adt 100 and i'm going to call that adt 100 event and then i'm going to open another one that's going to say adt timeline and at the beginning and end of every day i can bring up my lifetime totals 
on my dash for my miles, hours, and gallons. Oh, nice. And that will account for every second. Right. And then we'll be able to have a direct comparison. Now, remember, both of these are going to be correct, <laughs> right. but they are going to show different numbers. But both yeah. of them are right. Yeah. And that's where people just freak out, lose their mind, and kind of why I get a little bit upset when, you know, we've got some prohibitions on, you know, on some of the, the, the groups where you can't show a dash readout. Well, you know what? Today's dash readouts, as long as it's calibrated, honestly, they're going to be probably as or more accurate they're- than – uh, any other way you can look at it. Uh, and and so that's just part of us over time. That's just part right. of us changing and evolving to continue to be as accurate as we can. Yes. But there was a time when dash readouts were awful. That, that they is were correct. All over the board. And that's why we didn't want people posting, oh, look, I got 13 miles to the gallon yesterday. So no, you didn't. Let, let me give you let me give you an example here. So I have been putting in my trip notes and fuel gauges. I've been putting my ECM lifetime totals. I've started doing this. So if you got a calculator in front of you, um, my last fill up, my lifetime fuel total was five thousand two hundred and fifty gallons. And uh, fill up before that, my lifetime was five thousand one hundred and fifty two. All right. And that shows I used how many gallons? Like 98? Yeah. Okay. So when I done the actual fill up, this is how close things are nowadays. When I done the actual fill up, my truck said you used 98 gallons of fuel. I've got a little mark on the inside lip of my, my fuel tank. That right. I know right up. Yep. I, I filled <laughs> that up with 97.96 gallons. Holy cow. That's accurate. That, that That's is crazy on. accurate. The, the other thing of this is, is that my telematic system compares my odometer to GPS. And over the course of 10,000 miles, I was two-tenths of a mile off. Wow. That's, that, that's accurate. So now, and that's where we changed. Now we're saying, hey, look, most of these dashes are going to be accurate. We should be looking at the data. Yeah, w- w- absolutely. It's usable. And if you think about it, there's no way that we could be meeting these emission standards if our fuel injectors were not that accurate. Our fuel injectors today, they're essentially a flow meter. You know, we're right. doing multiple injections per stroke. It has to know exactly or we're going to have emission problems, right? So, so the, I- the idea that we're not accurate is, is it just doesn't stand up anymore we are extremely accurate provided that we and this is what i do i will constantly run a measured mile and and time to make sure that my odometer is accurate we could constantly compare it against gps (laughs) and we will measure the radius of the tire and roll it and do the calculation as long as you do those things your dash should be spot on. And let me just expand on that real quick. So this is another problem we have with fuel mileage testing when people miss a couple little details. Yes. The mark on the inside of your tank sounds like that might be a little obsessive. It, it, not it is at a, all. It is a bitch to hit. <laughs> it, it is, <laughs> but it's not being obsessive. You have to do that if we want to be accurate. Right. You also should make sure you're not sitting unlevel because now your mark yes. has changed. Oh. So yes. we get down to these kinds of details 
because if we want to be, there's so many variables, we'll never be completely accurate, ever. We just try to be as accurate as we possibly can. And knowing that you've got to account for these things um, is why we get into arguments with a lot of people. They're like, no, I proved it works. Yeah, no, you really did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing is, is just because you will see variation between fuel gauges 30, 60, 90, and a telematics and your IFTA, that's normal. They're both right. correct. What the important number is, the lifetime on all of them. That lifetime on your truck dash, on the fuel gauges, on the telematics should all be extremely close. And that's how you and, know you haven't made any mistakes. Well, Even you know though awesome? there's variation throughout everything else, if those lifetime totals are very close and the OEMs will give you 4%, I give myself about a percent. If I'm more than a percent variance on my lifetime totals, I'm pissed. I'm looking for the difference. <laughs> they will give you up to 4%, so you don't have to get crazy like I do. But um, – you know, that's how you know that you've put your data in and your data streams are clean is looking at those lifetime totals. And as long as they're within a couple of percent, you know, you've done a good job on your other stuff, even though they, they never agree, which they never will. Yeah. And, I, you know, one of the things I love, we have I, I'd have to go count again. I check it once in a while. We have many, many trucks in fuel gauges that have been tracking over a million miles in fuel gauges. Yes. That's yeah. awesome. When you look at a lifetime on a million miles, that smooths out a lot of variations. Yes. And, and what, what would be even better, and I don't know if, if these older trucks, because a lot of times you do overhauls, you may have changes in the ECM, but if one of those would happen to have a clean lifetime total, right. it would be so cool to be able to see if that lifetime total is in the neighborhood of of what the, the fuel ga gauges tracked is. So. Um, I guess at this point, I'll shut up. I'll let Henry talk. I know he's actually getting here. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny because this seems like kind of a minor topic. I haven't even got into <clears throat> propane and hydrogen. I could spend an hour on those easy. This is, this is a very nuanced topic, and I knew all of us were going to have a lot to say. We've got um, uh, Jamie. I think Jamie's still in here with us, too. He was. Uh, he was as a speaker. I think he dropped out. Let me bring him back. Because uh, I want to get Jamie in here at some point, too. There's a lot to say about this topic, and it's nuanced. So so let's add to that Henry, with what you ahead. were talking about, Joel, on the accuracy. The other part to keep in mind is how accurate was the fuel pump that pumped the fuel into your tank? You know, they have a tolerance Correct. as well. And, and the other thing that I found, you know, especially when you start getting up into the double-digit fuel economy, if I have my tanks are rear fill, so if I happen to be pointed downhill or uphill, it actually changes the amount of gallons that goes in the tank a good bit. And I always cross check it against what my dash says. And when you get up in them higher numbers, one gallon swings you a really big number. It can, yeah. One one gallon when you're up above ten makes you'll be like well. Doesn't does anybody remember when I think it was a wide up? They would be the most likely um, was really coming down hard. I think they might have even threatened some lawsuits on the truck stops because their pumps weren't temperature controlled. Oh yeah, that that was going to be my next next thing. And having been around where they've done an SAE type whatever it is fuel test, 
they go by the weight of the fuel. Right, correct, because it's more accurate. Right, that, that's when you're really getting down there. I mean, there's so one of the things I do, just I don't write it down so much unless something was really abnormal, but, you know, the aluminum part of the, no, the hose where it goes into the nozzle, after it's been pumping for a little while, I'll put my hand to feel if it's cold or hot. Because that hasn't that makes sense. That, yeah, that has an effect on it. So, the one thing I found that the dash reading, and in mine, I'll say it, my dash is off by four tenths every time. And you know that every yeah, you know, and I can get in there to mess with it more, and I know what it is, and that's an on average over time. The the funny thing is they put buffers in there because people would lose their mind. They'd fuel up and they'd reset their dash and they'd be saying they're getting 30 miles of the gallon. They'd pull a hill and it'd have them back to two. And so they start it out at six and then it averages out over it. Well, that's where the mess up is. Now, if you go in and look at my engine report, it's within a tenth of what I get on paper. So it's because of that buffer of what it's giving it. But the thing I like about the number, it's consistent. Right consistency is key as long as you're consistent if there is a variation who cares you know if you're just using it internally where it does become a problem is you know if you're out there saying okay look what you can do here's the potential of this and you have a variation and that variation isn't disclosed or to me the bigger problem is is if you've got people saying okay my truck gets 12 or 13 miles to the gallon but it doesn't match up with the, what their ECM is saying it, where there's a huge variance more than 4% right. then yeah. at that point then you know there's a problem whether it's record keeping or or whatever there and look it happens you turn numbers around you make mistakes and that's how I catch my mistakes by constantly comparing them numbers I'm constantly yeah. looking at them and if, if that variance gets more than a percent because I am out in social media so heavy I know I'm going to get grilled. Oh, yeah. So yeah I, right. get back, I get back in there, and I, I, I tear it apart. I, I make sure I get this right. So what, what Henry's saying is, is typical and normal for most people. They'll see a variance on the dash. Some manufacturers put that buffer in there so it doesn't drive, you know, your average company driver bonkers looking at that thing moving all around. My truck doesn't have that, and, you know, I, I'm the kind of geek that gets down in there. There's a fuel correction factor, and I'm going to tune that son of a bitch in so it is spot on every time I look well, at it. Is that necessary? Well, no, it's well, not. Going with that with record keeping, one of the records I used to keep before they put that buffer in there and you just started out at pure zero, mm-hmm. and, and I'm running the same run, I have this luxury with a lot of the same loads, I have this other luxury that when I'd fuel up, I'd record what the highest number was that I could get on the dash before it started averaging out. And I found that to be an important number, not to share with everybody, but it gave me a really good uh, indication how the truck was actually performing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it in the one case where I'd fuel up, it'd be as high as 16, but it wasn't nothing to report on. But if it started coming in at 13 and that same thing, okay, what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. this would be a good time to uh, take a break from uh, all the info we're spewing out there. There's a lot of stuff. See if uh, <laughs> well, I want to get some. I want to get some uh, from Jamie, and then we'll see if we have any questions. I know I have at least one on. Uh, Jamie, good morning. How's it going, guys? Good, good. What do you want to What do you want to pile on here with additives? I want to say ditto to Joel's. <laughs> 
That was long <laughs> and and very detailed. I mean, what has a guy got left after that? My lord. <laughs> I know. I know. It, no, it's a tough uh, act to follow. Yeah, Joel uh, convinced me early on in our, that he's speaking of. Uh, we also just recently found a product, I shouldn't say recently, last two years from Clean Air Fleet. And we've been running that stuff uh, across the entire fleet. And like I said, the, what was it, last week or the week before, we just had our first emissions issue on it with a truck with 420,000 miles on. And it was just the uh, temperature sensor on the DPF there. But prior to that, like, we literally have zero emissions issues, just absolutely zero. There's, which is a godsend if you think about it. What it we're is. doing is like that we used to do back it in is. the day is yeah. just tires, oil changes, and the occasional, awesome. you know, doohickey that goes wrong on the dash or something. You know what I mean? Just average truck stuff, you know, which is kind of fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, Jamie, to, to your point on that, my brother told me, and, and, you know, we speak on a regular basis still, even though I'm not employed by Ploger. Obviously, it's a family. Yeah, they're like family. We speak on yeah. a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he <laughs> told me that this year, when you look at just the new iTorque trucks and you look at the cost to run per mile, that he is probably actually going to be better than the last round of non-emissions engines wow. that we ran back in the day. Because wow. That's huge. We, are, we are just not having the problems. We're downsped, low piston speed, we're treating fuel, and if we do have an issue, it's always because it's an idler, somebody that just constantly idles. We've been putting all the electrical solar stuff in and the electric air conditioners. He's brought his idle time in the line, and emission system problems are just kind of a thing of the past, really. Hey, Joel, you know, there's, there's another factor, and he, he may have taken this into account, I'm not sure. But if you're trying to compare cost per mile on maintenance from back when, you know, kind of pre-emission stuff to today, mm -hmm. you've got to take into account inflation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the cost of getting anything done has gone through the roof. So if he's seeing lower yep. cost per mile, that could be yep. even bigger than what we're thinking. I, it definitely is. There, there's no doubt. It, it, it's, it's pretty damn, pretty damn impressive when you, when you set and think. But you have to, you have to do your homework and you have to get things right. So what Jamie's saying is, is spot on, 100. percent Do things right, and your trucks are going to treat you right. Good stuff. Look at just on the oil change intervals. I mean, that brings your maintenance cost oh. a good bit just in that. Hey, since you said oil, I'm going to throw this in because it kind of goes along. I have changed my mind over the years on fuel additives because I saw the proof. I saw things that I couldn't test. I saw things that changed because the engines changed. I'm always I, – I, somebody could go back and pull up all kinds of shows where I called every fuel additive snake oil, don't bother – you're not going to save any money. <laughs> I've changed my mind. That the, uh -huh. the the catalyst, it was proven to me over enough trucks with enough results that I got on board with that. You proved to me the cetane, how that worked and why it worked and some of these other additives. I'm on board. Uh, I will say to this day, there is not a single oil additive I ever put in my truck. And I don't think unless something changes my mind, um, I'm not a believer in oil additives. So there's a couple of things to 
think about here, and I, I'm collecting data on this right now, and I, I may I may be able to change your mind on this, and just I'll, just to I'll kind keep of, an open mind, right? I, I don't have enough data yet to fully fully uh, put this all out there, but just something to keep in mind. So, and this this applies. Cummins has for a long time had this um, carbon packing issue in the rings, right? Right. And they've had this special additive you put in there to get rid of that carbon, correct? Oh, okay. And and for for some people it works and for some it doesn't. So so Hotshot Secret has what they call a a stiction eliminator that is very similar, and they've had this for a long time, to address that carbon packing issue in, in all engines to keep the rings uh, clean and, and free. They also have a product that helps to, it, it is a friction modifier. Uh, if your engine is new and clean, um, I can't throw anything out yet, but okay. I, there, there right. are some ways to measure if that stuff really is reducing friction. And I think it's pretty clear that it does. Um, I don't know that it's going to make enough of a difference that we're going to be able to say, hey, look, our fuel economy increased X amount um, because of this reduction of friction. However, however, when you take a downsped engine that is reducing mechanical friction to begin with and then you chemically reduce friction on top of it to reduce your moments of inertia you can start to see where this right. is going and how this is going to so, build so very so that's complicated the kind to put together right I, I think i can probably get you there it's probably going to take me another year or two before i so, finally have all that data and that's the kind of stuff that i'm looking for and i'll keep an open mind on let me throw out one more thing so you can kind of keep an eye on this Mm-hmm. So there is the issue that I've always talked about with oil additives. Is it doing the good that it's supposed to be doing? Correct. And I've been pretty, you know, outspoken that I don't see it. I just don't see the benefit. So here's the, one of here's the, the other thing we have to take into account. There have been additives on the market that, that have screwed things up. Oh, yeah. Correct. So it, we yes. look at it like a drug. Does it do what it's supposed to do? Okay, it does. There's a benefit. Are there side effects? And if they are, are we willing to deal with the side effects to get the benefit? That's kind of the way I've looked at oil additives. And some of them can really screw things up. No, there, there's, there's no doubt. You, you, can, you can screw that up. However, one of the unique positions that I'm in personally, um, getting to work with the folks at BASF, who they are the world's largest uh, and they have tribologists, they have PhDs, they have all that stuff on staff in multitudes. You know, it's just hundreds of people that are very well qualified and have an excellent pedigree when it comes to this stuff. And I have access to those people. I also have access to a company like Hotshot Secret that's more of a mom and pop boutique style uh, operation. And it's kind of cool to get to talk to both sides. It is yeah. on this, and it's surprising how much agreement there is between the two. Okay. Um, sometimes it's the formulation needs tweaked, or this needs tweaked, or that needs tweaked. We are, as far as oil goes, we are not anywhere close to where we need to be or where we can be. Um, my understanding is in Europe that in some of the heavy-duty diesels over there, they're running 520. 
engine um, <laughs> oil over there. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think we're going to be down to like cars down to that zero sixteen weight before yeah. too awful long. And I, I'm all for that. You know, well, and, yeah. and this this is all driven by put an additive in here that maybe it's impact and viscosity and maybe it's impact and friction in a different way and and then we learn from that um you so know it, providing feedback to these engineers just like we do on the truck we have to provide that feedback to yeah. the to the tribologist so they can improve right. formulations as well I, i've got kind of an opinion on this i'm not sure if i'm really right or not but i i think that you know, we talked about OEMs and how hard it is to make a change, like a, an air dog or something at the factory. It, it's a big deal. You explained some reasons. When I've talked to oil engineers, I worked with um, um, Shell quite a bit when I was doing some seminars. Uh, and I worked with, um, now I forgot which other oil company it was. I did, when they rolled out the two different API classifications, they knew there was going to be tons of confusion. They paid me to go around the country and do seminars to try to clarify that. So mm-hmm. I had access to talk to them. My take is if we find a better oil, a, another additive to put in, it's pretty easy for an oil company to say, hey, that stuff works. Let's put that into our formulation. Mm-hmm. I, so for, I for think them, you will th- see faster if something gets proven that that, that that's, could become part of somebody's oil. That is the whole problem that was proven. Could you imagine if Rotella made a change in their formulation and they started having engine failures? Oh, oh, no doubt. <laughs> right. So that, right. that point of proven is so, so important. And it's why it's why I do field test work for BASF. You know, I sign a contract with them. They say, hey, if we blow your engine up or we blow your transmission up, we're going to cover everything. <laughs> You know, yeah. I could I could Good. never afford to do that. And and so this is what we do. You know, yeah. they throw some shit together. They're pushing boundaries. Hotshot Secrets pushing boundaries. Both those companies will come to me and say, I want to run this. And if we blow that thing apart, we're going to cover your downtime. We'll put a new Excellent. transmission. In. That has to happen or yeah, there's no does. way in hell you put that stuff in your truck. Right. You know, and not everybody can do that. They don't have those agreements. So um, I like to think that, you know, I'm probably a little out ahead of the pack when it comes to oh, the absolutely. comes to that type well, of stuff and, and the arrangements that I have in the testing. That Kevin, I'm like you that you say about being a skeptic on the oil additives. The only experience I had with the oil additives, and I shared this with Joel, when I was racing stock cars, the one division that I ran in, you had to run a stock rocker arm. And we were abusing that rocker arm because it had way too much lift, way too much spring pressure, but you were there to win a race. A stock rocker arm wouldn't last 10 laps. We were running 2050 oil. Added STP to it, and we could get three races out of it. <laughs> but, you know, probably could have pulled yeah. for 98 year loop in and accomplished the same thing. But that that was, and, and so many of the additives get a bad name because of, all the things that there used to be at the parts store, transmission rebuilding a can and engine rebuilding a can. and Well, there there is one of them that was notorious enough that the federal government actually shut them down. Um, Slick 50. Remember Correct. that one? Yes. 
Yeah, that one was bad enough that the federal government actually went after them and shut them down. And when you think about some of the garbage that's been on the market for decades, that's pretty extreme. Wow. But that, that stuff was actually doing damage to engines. Correct. There, there's there's both sides of the coin, no doubt. Um, so that this is something that I would not suggest that most people tinker with unless you've got agreements in place with suppliers that they're going to cover downtime, they're going to cover if the, you, you know, you blow up an engine, you're talking about sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 to put a Today new engine in it. And yeah. if you can even get it and think about your downtime and stuff. So all that stuff needs to be, you know, covered up front. So, yeah, I, I don't suggest that people start no. messing and tankering with, with lube oil. Yeah. Well, well, Let's, the um, one thing you mentioned right yeah. off, Joel, that, you know, when you say about chemistry, the one thing that always worried me, matter of fact, it worries me about switching brands of oil that does somebody's additive not get along with some other additive that causes an adverse effect. So, I mean, uh, I always remembered, so, you know, I, I got that from my stepfather. You know, whatever oil you put in the car to start with, that's what you stayed with. I've switched. Let me address said, that. But I don't like doing it. That the, the oil industry has done a pretty good job of that. As long as you're sticking with API oils that are made for your engine, all of the additives are supposed to be compatible. Yeah. And I, and, and I can say, with I, I've reviewed tens and tens of thousands of oil samples and I, I've never seen a case where we could track it back and say it's because you you switched yeah. oil including from full conventional oil to full synthetic they can be mixed and blended and all you're doing is creating a blend well, and I got over that Kevin well, you know it's just one of them things yeah. that yeah. sticks with you but, right. but, but then when right. we start talking about an additive to put in the oil yeah I, I get the now I agree with yeah, that. That's, that's when you do I, I have didn't to quite be get careful. over that. When I'm with you, Kevin, sitting on the sideline, right. you go, Joe, show, show it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Let, yes. Let's do this. <laughs> Let, let's get some speakers in and see if we've got some questions. So uh, Ray, looks like you're up there. Unmute yourself and jump in and join us. Yeah, uh, I have a question and a comment. Uh, right now, we run the pack car and the Cummins. I'm well, sorry. I, tell me about it. Well, my question will help that. Okay. But, um, so the one I, truck I'm in right now is got 182,000. It's a pack car. At 100,000, uh, no, 135,000, the engine went because it was dusted from factory. So they put a new engine in it, and this is where we get to the additives. So it went 30,000 on the brand new engine, and it um, the injector injector one went bad and plugged so we went the rounds with that they uh they run it what they do is they have to run it three times where they take it in and do a clean mm -hmm. before they'll replace the injector flush out yep yep and uh so they actually did it twice and they said okay we're gonna put an injector in so they put the injector in i made one trip and it went bad so what they did is then they gave us the stuff on power serve. Mm -hmm. You gotta run this, and we don't have any mm -hmm. problems with our Cummins, but we do with the pack car. So they, they gotta run that. So we're a, you know, we haul for a big company here in the West that's a, an oil company, and they bring all our fuel and that. And so I went and bought a case of that power serve, mm -hmm. and we ran that, and it did fine. But it's pricey. It. Mm -hmm. Came out to eight and a half cents a, a mile. 
or a gallon. No, a mile. Yeah. So we're like, that's that's pricey. And with your advice, we we now run hot shot on our newer stuff, and it's costing us at eight miles a gallon. It's two and a half cents a mile. Half a mile. Correct. Keep right to stay And so they couldn't get an injector. They just got it after three months. I put another twenty five thousand on this truck running hot shot, and we they've got the injector sitting there, and we're going to have them replace it. But we haven't had no issues since we've been running full out of dibs, but mainly hot shot because. Mm-hmm. It just does more. Mm-hmm. And so we're happy with it. But I'd like to also, I think TJ's on kind of what his opinion is with 80 trucks on that and and what they're running. Gotcha. Well, if TJ jumps in here, sometimes he's here, but he's busy doing other exactly. stuff. If he is here, we'll, we'll see if and he if, jumps in. And um, also, if I can go to a question or I can wait on sure. the question. No, no. That's what we're so looking the, for right now. Okay. The question is, is so this truck, I'm going to get out of it. Boss kind of lets me do, kind of like Joe, but no, we're not brothers, but he lets me spec the trucks, he lets, whatever I want, and I'm getting out of this one. We're pretty much, we're going to pull the trigger on a Volvo, and I was really excited, but Cummins is just hounding us to come try one, and what they want to do is meet, and... Get, run the 450 and they want us to do some testing now we haven't gave them much thought because we're ready to try something different but i do meet with him next week to do some testing on a new truck if we go that route what are some questions uh maybe best to ask right now they're saying where i run to put a 253 rear in it run at 1100 but i want to push them to the limit and they know that if i'm going to do this Okay, so I, I missed a little bit of my damn phone was ringing and it shut everything off. So I, I missed a little bit of that. How much? Uh, how much weight are you guys pulling? Uh, what we do is I run from the Salt Lake area to LA. I'm at twenty thousand, twenty to twenty five thousand down, and then we haul oil out, and I'm usually seventy five to eighty thousand every trip. I do it twice a week coming back so you're That's as heavy as we you're get. not getting over eighty thousand gross you you, you just want an, no. an eye torque um you, you yeah you definitely want to if you're going to do a volvo do an eye torque spec don't screw around with a 253 or a 247 in fact uh, i just had a fleet that they were very skeptical of the 216 didn't think it would pull well in the hills and they bought two identical trucks. They bought an iTorque and they bought a 247 overdrive. Everything was identical about the truck, same engine, you know, the TC engine. Um, and they pulled a big hill out east here. Most people are familiar with it at Fancy Gap with 40,000 pounds and identical trailers. And the 247 was running about 1,500 RPM pulling the hill. The iTorque was pulling the same hill at 1,250 RPM and was walking away from the 247 truck because the iTorque engine makes more horsepower and torque at low RPM, which most people have a hard time getting their mind around how can you be less RPM and still out-pull the truck. Well, that's that's the way the Volvo is set up with the with the TC to to do that, and uh, you'll be very very happy with those kind of weights with a, with an iTorque spec. There's there's no doubt. Um, then you just have to ask yourself: Do you want to go six by two adaptive loading, or are you going to stay six by four? 
Yeah, no, where your foam broke out. Yeah, that's what I have spec already with Volvo, but Cummins has just been hounding and wanting us to do some testing for them with a new truck. Mm-hmm. And they're pushing the 450 with the 253 rears and all that. And I don't think we're going to go with them unless they do the same thing. Like, yeah, we want to, I said, I really want to be extreme if I'm going to do this. If you want me to do it, I want to be extreme and really push it, not just what right. you recommend for everybody. So I was wondering some questions to ask them where you guys have dealt with that. So right now, um, as far as is with the, the Volvo, the, the, the most extreme that you're going to get right now as far as downsped technology is iTorque. We are absolutely pushing the limit um, in the industry as far as is downspeeding goes uh, on the common side if you you're in a good situation because you could take an eye torque spec and you could go back to commons and say hey match the spec you know my brother does that all the time with different man and, and sometimes they'll say yeah we can do that sometimes they'll say no we can't but that's a way to to really get that competition working for you you want to you always kind of want to have two or three of the oems in there pick your spec that you think you really like and then say you know let's let's match this and and from that point your your questions will they'll kind of become self-evident you know cummins may say well we can't do that because of this this and this and then you start to ask well why you know and then they'll explain it um so i think that's what you do you you find the spec that's the most aggressive that you're comfortable with find the OEM that will work with that spec and then if you've got others involved you take it to them and say hey this is this is what I want to do here's why I want to do it you explain to them why you're trying to accomplish or what you're trying to accomplish with the lower piston speed you know is it improved fuel efficiency is it emission system durability is it driver retention is it productivity is it all of the above and um, if you can lay that out you know why you're doing what you're doing they may have alternative suggestions on doing it a different way that you know maybe I haven't thought of or you haven't thought of. So um, that's that's how I think I would do that. Well, we've kind of already done that. That's kind of interesting because the dealership and then I talked to the the Cummins uh, engineer out here, one of them in the West, it's over multiple states, called me, mm-hmm. and I what we did is we sent him our specs from Volvo. Sure, and I said. You know, we didn't put pricing or anything, but they really want us to do it. And we're like, well, we got to see what we want because we have a history, too, of what we like and what we don't with Cummins' fat car we just hate. Right. The engines. But, uh, right. Uh, so we'll meet with them next Friday, me and the mechanic, and uh, we're going to be able to drill them. They can yes, I actually got an email back from the, the dealer saying, We've went over the specs, and I've got some numbers for you. So, But I, I don't want to stay with their average. I, if they're going to test and I want to, I'm going to make them well, really it, push what, it because I can get an iTorque and know I'm going to be happy. Right. What What's very interesting, and, and to me, I, I, I would kind of love this situation of being able to get with a Cummins engineer if they don't know who I am to begin with. That's always <laughs> problematic because the second they go, oh, it's that guy. I'm not talking to him. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's, that's just what happens. But, yeah, you know, exactly. you know it, it's it's what we always talk about is that engine architecture. I, I would love for one of their engineers to come explain that to me, you know, what the advantage of their 
the way that they're doing things with the crankshaft and the, the hey. rod angle and whatnot, why it's better or why they think it's better. And hey, Joel. I have yet to get that. Yes. Yeah. When Ray was talking, he said, what kind of questions should I ask them? And I, I assumed he was talking about Cummins. And mine was going to be just real simple. Really, just with engine architecture in mind, explain why I would want to. Yeah, and they may they may look at you and go, "What the hell are you talking about?" And that would be a clue. That would <laughs> yeah, be a big right, clue. right, yeah, right. right. That, that's exactly right. Um, right. So yeah, you know, as it comes, you know, they do some clever stuff over there. I'm not going to sit here and say that that Cummins is a bad engine. We're doing things a different way at Volvo than what Cummins is, but you know, they they've got a Miller cycle going on where they're relieving compression without timing overlap. They've got a lot of clever things, and those engines are capable when spec correctly. Um, we're just doing it a little bit different way. You know, we're leveraging the advantages of the Volvo at very, very low RPM that, in my opinion, that Cummins will never, ever, ever run that low. It right. will never happen. Right. Um, now, they're doing some things with, you know, valve timing and injection timing and, and things that maybe Volvo's not doing, and and it would be great to be able to have that discussion and, and find out. But, um, you know, if, if yeah. you're sold well, on the idea of, of the eye torque, you know, just look at the rear axle ratios, look at the transmission ratios and, um, you know, let's start doing some tractive effort calculations at different speeds. And they should be able to tell you what your horsepower demand is for when you have a 20,000 pound load over a certain stretch of road. And, you know, if you do that tractive effort calculation for both the common setup and the Volvo setup, at that point, you just see which one most closely matches your requirement, and uh, that's the way you go. You know, you mentioned that it's hard to talk to these people sometimes, depending on who you are, what connections you have. We've got, um, if John ever stops racing and playing with Ferraris over in Italy and comes back and joins us, John's got a really good connection at Pack. And maybe we could get Pack Car to come in and talk to us about this because their engine architecture is kind of goofy as well when you look at, you know, mm-hmm. so maybe, maybe that connection. Um, the other thing I want to do, I want to get some uh, other speakers in here. Uh, TJ, he did join us. So, uh, TJ, jump in. Yeah, um, what was Ray's question? I was, I was uh, on something, but I, I caught the tail of it. Was you know, he, he, he talked. Oh, Ray, go ahead. You just tell him. Okay, I just wanted to kind of know where your uh, 80 truck fleet and run different areas, what your uh, idea or what you run for fuel additives and success like Joel has. And we run the hot shot in our newer stuff. But I just kind of wanted your opinion just to see what your success or non-success has been well uh our non-success i would say has been with a driver pool we've just not been able to have good tight controls as far as you know controlling additives and things on the truck while they're out and about so i've just opted out of additive game um just be just because it didn't you know it didn't hit my radar and for years um you know, adding Lucas, we tried that for a little bit, but just like controlling it and the costs and the, you know, the half gallons everywhere and the drivers, the turnover. And it's just been so many hurdles to try to have a good procedure on that. We did the, we do the OPS filters on the earlier trucks. And then we realized uh, we just do oil sampling 
instead of adding those. So I don't know, I had like 15 OPSs on there to help clean up the oil. Um, but even that got to become harder over the road, like having the filters available and then all of a sudden the driver needs an OPS filter, but he doesn't have one on the truck and the TAs and Petros don't have them. And so we just started oil sampling more often. Every 25,000 Sorry, 000, take I a couldn't hear what you said. And, and then we stopped installing those extra you know, bells and whistles on the truck. Um, so I'm not really a good example to follow probably because I don't have tight enough controls in place on the driver as to how we manage this stuff. So, so not, not saying that's the way to go. I'm just saying in my line of work, it's not, it's not my focus. Um, it's, you know, everything should be, but like, there's so many moving parts to what we do. It just became more hard to manage or harder to manage than just going with sample it change the oil at $75,000. I think the experience that you're having here is absolutely typical of most fleets that are bigger than 15 trucks. Um, normally when you're you know 15 or smaller it's just your force of personality as the owner you can just kind of dominate everything and take care of everything once you get out to 80 90 100 trucks you know your focus changes just exactly what you're talking about here and, and you really start to run off economies of scale rather than efficiencies this is the advantage that an owner operator has is that you can leverage the advantages of the things that we're talking about and we're fleet struggle managing their people to take care of simple little things like dosing a fuel tank. It's not an easy trick for a fleet. Um, I spent years with my brother figuring out how do we make that happen? And it took a long time to, to put that in place. Um, and if and, you do it wrong, it could cost you a bunch. Yes, yes. So that experience that he's talking about, that he's seeing with a fleet, this is why you have to be careful as an owner-operator or a very small fleet of following exactly everything a bigger fleet does. A lot of it's not going to apply or you're missing out on efficiencies. And always have to remember small fleets, owner-operators should always have their operation based on an efficiency model and that model will change as you grow and about the time you get to 80 trucks you know you're gonna be pulling your hair out because the stuff you done when you had two or three <laughs> it's just not gonna work anymore yeah. so you have to keep an open mind and change so that i, I kind of love love the answer he gave there because i I've, I've seen a lot of a lot of fleets struggle with that, and that's just being open and honest. The reality of the situation and, is it's a son of a bitch. It and and honestly, the, the decision for somebody like TJ to just say, look, I'm just it's not even on my radar. Uh, even if it's on your radar, your best decision might be, I'm just not going to mess with it. We don't have a huge problem we're trying to solve here, and it's going to take resources and people and training and it just might not be a good time for you to do that. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I got another good example of something where we're super duper wasteful on, and it's our fifth wheels. So I went with a lot of aluminum fifth wheels um, over, over the years so we could make our trucks super duper light. Because, you know, we charge per pound basically on what goes on our truck, and we don't charge per mile. And so I went with all these aluminum fifth wheels. And so I have, you know, 50, 70 trucks with aluminum fifth wheels. And then we started having drivers drop trailers. 
these drivers are dropping trailers in the yard and it just destroys the landing gear when you drop a fully loaded trailer on the landing gear just oh man yeah clobbers the fuel tank it clobbers the uh, landing gear and so what like right now our policy is Every time the thing comes in for service, we we replace the fifth wheel with a refurbished fifth wheel. So, so, so we have a yeah. Got, uh, finish that thought, TJ. Yeah, we have a stack of fifth wheels, and it's we change them out every you know every time the truck comes in for service, right? If it's wow. if it's, it's, so, and why do we do that? That's how it's so wasteful. But we're just trying to mitigate any driver saying it was the fifth wheel, not me. Right, because right. they can point the finger at the company. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> so here's here's one of my favorite statements when you start talking about this. Should we try this? Should we try that? Remember this phrase: the law of unintended consequences. Kevin, now you know exactly why I stepped away from my brother's operation and kind of went because <laughs> the kind of stuff that he's describing right there, I pull it, my freaking hair out. It, I'm like, it yeah, gives you nightmares. Believe this stuff, and it it, it it goes against every fiber of my being to have to do shit like that. I know, but you have to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you have to fundamentally look at a fleet operation different than a than a small owner operator or or a very small fleet. There is a huge difference in how that's going to be managed and operated for sure. Stuff like TJ just described that'll keep you up at night. Oh my god! Oh, I, I you know my brother he's he's a few years younger than me, but he's he's pretty gray. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel bad for him. You know, I was like, you know. Get, Go down to the vacation house in Florida. Go fishing. Go do something. Get the hell out of here because that's a lot of stress. And t- yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, I, I hate to say it sometimes because I know it doesn't always come across as, you know, the right thing for me to do. But people always ask me, you had a fleet. You were doing well, I claim to. And I was. I was making all kinds of money and not working that hard. And I had a great way to test things. And I could have built the fleet. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I know people who I started with back at FedEx that now have 60 trucks there. I mean, these are big size fleets. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could have been there. I was on that track. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and thought, is this really how I will spend my days? I, I, I didn't feel like my strengths were being used enough running that business. It was so structured and I had it all down pat and I didn't have to make many changes and it honestly got boring or it was just do I really want to own 60 trucks? Is that really what I want <laughs> no. to do? No. <laughs> I hear you. But I'd I, be, I, I, I just said it earlier. I, I would be I said it on my earlier show today. If I could take on a project and I can't. I've looked at it too much time Um, I actually got you guys involved in this, so I might as well throw it out there. Um, I said if I could do a project right now, I would start a small fleet again. Mm -hmm. I would build a glider with a pre-emission, probably an N14. I really want to play around with that engine more. I think I missed something on that one. Um, So I'd have a glider with an N14, totally spec the way I want it. I'd have a new Volvo with your specs and maybe even some experimental stuff. And I'd have a Tesla. And I would run those three trucks with authority, moving freight, and track every number, revenue, downtime, maintenance costs, fuel. It would be interesting to see the difference in those three types of setups. And then I said, 
hell, I don't have time to be doing this. Then my idea was, well, what if I got Joel and Henry and Jamie <laughs> and TJ oh, and we all <laughs> form a little company and we go buy these three trucks and we run it together? There you go. There you go. <laughs> I think that'd be awesome. Well, you, you would think yeah, if he was doing that, Joel, he would have at least showed up for the photo shoot the other day, you know? Yo, yeah, he, there you go. There you go. <laughs> he, he, we don't want any pictures of me floating around. <laughs> J- Jamie didn't make it either, but Jim filled in for him. They look a little bit alike. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, hey, very Brian. Similar. Brian. Brian, jump in here. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, real quick on the technology. You can hear me, right? Yes. Okay. Um, this is my first Twitter space, so I don't know what I'm doing, and everything's working. Wait. We don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's working flawlessly, and I didn't—I uh, didn't miss anything getting my call screened. And I was playing the show through USB to my truck radio, and as soon as you put me live, it—it it switched to my headset by itself. Uh, nice. So that was pretty cool. I, I did that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, of course, I came up with more questions while I was waiting. But my first question for Joel is um, on the oil additives, on the stiction eliminator and that friction reducer. Mm-hmm. Um, are you are you using both of those regularly? Uh, and Have been for quite a while. Okay. And do you run the stiction eliminator like full time? You don't cycle that in and out? Now, the only time that I use stictional eliminator nowadays is if I have an unknown commodity in an engine. I, I don't know how often it's been serviced. I don't know anything about it. What I'll do is I'll run, I'll, I'll dump stictional eliminator in it, and I'll run it uh, out and do an oil change. That way I'm making sure the rings are clean. Uh, um, you know, any any place where the oil has contact, it'll it'll clean things up and and make sure I'm starting out with a good baseline. Um, and then I will switch over and uh, uh, just run the friction modifier at, at that point. Okay. And you're running that, that friction modifier full time? Yeah. Yep. And what what was what's that one called again? Let me, let me grab the bottle of it here. I don't want to tell you the wrong FR3. name. Yeah, FR3. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, the other question I've, I've been meaning to send a message on the tribe to Leroy because I'd like to hear him open on this. But uh, you, you've all played with the Series 60, and uh, maybe Steve Crone's listening as well. Um, I just started messing with the droop setting, and I didn't know if any of you had any experience on that. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, dro- Droop just sounds like a bad thing to me. <laughs> I, I, I have yeah. no idea what that is, but it doesn't sound good. Yeah, Droop is your governor control. Um, <laughs> it, it allows you to fuel over or under a certain point. A lot of it's going to depend where you're at, how much weight you have, what your gearing is. If you have traditional gear, a lot of times Droop's not helping you all that much because the truck's not going to free roll all that well to begin with. Um, if you're more aggressively downsped, oh. um, droop may be of a bigger benefit to you. Um, it, it, there's, there's a lot of moving parts there as, as far as droop goes. Um, some, I, I, we used to play with it all the time, 
back in the day. We don't even have the droop settings anymore on, on any of the modern the modern stuff. It just kind of knows what to do, and that it's kind of a dynamic governor Joel, um, running the engine. Joe, yes, on sir. your over and under, is yours adjustable in the cab? Because mine, y- yes. and I find that I set mine differently, and I can get some gain to it if I'm driving towards mm-hmm. water versus away from water. Correct. Downhill versus uphill, correct. On average. Yes. You're, yes, yes. Yep. Yeah, when you're you're heading towards water, you, you open the droop up. Um, when you're going the opposite direction, when you're climbing, you want to close it up. So I, I agree. Interesting. All right, real quick here. I, I'm looking up at the clock. I do need to start controlling my time on these things. I can't do those marathon sessions every day. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap this up at 11. I don't have any other questions on board right now. If we get a couple, we'll answer them. Uh, so if you've got a question, um, maybe since we didn't cover propane and hydrogen, uh, maybe we'll just touch on that next week. Although I, I can oh, wrap no, it up. No, 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 Kevin. We, I don't want to hear about hydrogen anymore. Screw hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired of hearing about hydrogen. I, I, see, now, now you got me going. There, so, uh, it's, all it so, is is so a let me just summarize government that. bullshit. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but wait a minute. This hydrogen was was not about the green revolution and all that crap. And I'm not talking about like a Nikola hydrogen truck. I'm talking about hydrogen injection into our current diesel engines. Oh, boy. OK. Yeah, I tested it extensively. It was a big thing for a while. Uh, one of the clues is that it's not a big thing anymore. <laughs> it, it, that, that should be a clue my first system i i bought it from those crazy people north of the border was twelve thousand dollars dollars yes i remember that yep. twelve thousand dollars that company doesn't exist anymore i don't think any of these hydrogen companies exist anymore and and you would not believe i was at a truck show one time and i was reporting on my results from the hydrogen and it happened with propane i was surrounded by people from this company, they were threatening me with bodily harm. <laughs> they, they were fanatics about this shit. It was total garbage. Uh, uh-huh. Neither one of them work at all. There is no. no reason for anybody to be putting hydrogen or propane injection on their truck. I played with propane for six years <laughs> trying to figure that out. And... Uh, no, now, if you, if you add the cost the, of the propane back in, essentially oh, you're just burning more fuel with all you're doing. And it's worse. So yes. I could have this, I could have used good marketing and I could have been, you know, even somewhat honest. I could have gone on and said, this is incredible. Propane improved my fuel mileage a mile and a half per gallon. Mm-hmm. And it did. And mm-hmm. if I would have just left it at that, it would have sounded pretty so, incredible. So it improved a mile and a half per gallon. My cost per mile for all fuel went up three cents a mile. Correct. The only way that we thought we could make it work is if you didn't have to pay uh, tax on the propane. It still didn't work. I well, I was paying tax, but fuel was. I, I'll have to go back and look at my records. I think fuel was in the $3 range somewhere. Yeah. I was local. My truck was back to the terminal every night, and I was getting propane delivered for $1.99 a gallon. Mm-hmm. Still didn't work out. Mm-hmm. 
Now imagine what would happen if you were on the road. Oh, what a hassle yeah, no, it is I, to get I, propane I, on the road and how expensive Bender, it can Bender be. done that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't well, work. No, it yeah. does not work. Kevin, <laughs> I, I got yeah. out of that much easier than you did. It was funny. They approached me at Louisville when I was walking down the hallway. One of them recognized who I was. And he came over and he started chatting with me. During that, one of the Detroit engineers walked up with me and I looked at the guy with the propane. I says, if you convince him, I'll put it on. And he... It was like abracadabra. <laughs> so, so there's another there's another downside to the story here. I, for some reason, I'm drawing a blank on there was some chemical we were using in the hydrogen systems. I know you used distilled water, but there was something else. I don't remember if it was just the startup of the system, but we were at my shop and this company came down and they were doing the install and we're going through all this stuff and the guy's got the, a jug of this chemical whatever it was and he's walking by me talking and he splashed it all over my shoes totally ruined my shoes <laughs> there's another downside and <laughs> and uh, if you run hydrogen on the road good luck keeping enough distilled water the water that's what a, a pain in the yes. ass that was yes yep yep it's all problematic there's no doubt none of it worked <laughs> uh, yeah twelve thousand dollars for that system it was total garbage the only thing it did to me was kill my batteries right that's what i was gonna say if you didn't have a humongous alternator on there right and and the big batteries, your electrical system will go to hell on it. Yeah, I know all about that, and, too. So, And there was their answer. Oh, look, here's an ambulance alternator you should use instead. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we need these big batteries. Okay, what's that going to do to my fuel mileage? So, right, exactly. The bigger the alternator, the yeah. more power it takes You're to right. turn it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, hydrogen it. energy was not free. Everybody acted like the hydrogen part of this was free. It's not free at all. No, no, you're exactly right. But I can build a hydrogen generator in my garage and create brown <laughs> gas. Yeah, I know you can. Yeah, and you can make real pretty blue flames with it in a pop bottle too. But <laughs> <Right. laughs> who cares? It doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, hey, can I make a couple of comments before you? cut us out sure uh, a couple things about tj uh he we went through the same thing with those beautiful fifth wheels they were great until we started getting phone calls at three in the morning with our local guys with the trailer dropped right and, and so we we didn't know what was going on we thought man our drivers aren't paying attention then we had the fifth wheel people come in and so we could adjust and so we could and so we changed those plates every hundred thousand but we won't go back to them and then about the additives what you learn is a lot of drivers don't care and a couple extra ounces them, but it adds up when you're watching pennies and so yep. i understand we are on the big fleet and so we're yep. in the same thing we're at 23 trucks we're growing as time's right so we're going through the same thing you you guys your experts have already went through so i've enjoyed being able to li listen to what you guys have went through and see what we're going through now with the whole thing is you get a little bigger and a little bigger and what when it becomes a, a company uh, not a few trucks right yeah they uh, on the fifth wheels i think what we narrowed it down to is they just get grimy because people are so used to putting uh, grease on their fifth wheels and these ones are not meant to be greased 
So the more grease these ones take on, as far as like plate grease, it gets compacted in there and then with a little bit of dirt and grime is what's causing them not to close properly. Uh, so that's why we just have to refurbish them every, you know, every hundred, two hundred thousand, just to make sure that we're on top of it. Well, yeah, the gr the grime part is what we had problems. So everyone's got a can, a spray, a spray in it, and uh, then we got half our fifth wheels are grease, and so it's, unless you have all of it, it's pretty hard to keep them clean. Exactly. I, I had the same problem with my aluminum fifth wheel, and I have one on my new truck, and. The big thing that changed on it, it has a grease circle on the side that goes to the salt from the previous mm -hmm. ones didn't have that. Right. That's exactly right as well. So so we had to, you know, we just have to retrain everyone from mechanics to drivers to make sure no one's just slopping grease on them. But then if you tra if you do a lot of trailer interchange like we do, um, you're bound to get grease on the aluminum fifth wheel. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I got aluminum on mine as well, and of course, unlike Henry, I do power only stuff on occasion, and that's always, you know, you're looking up under there, and you're going, oh Jesus, now I'm going to have this problem. So, yeah, no, I, I hear you and feel your pain. It's just uh, that's like talking to my brother. You know what I, mean? I hear you, I hear you guys talking, and it's it's all the same stuff. Training, training, training. You know, always playing to the lowest common denominator, which and, really sucks. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, and, and let's not forget that training is sometimes in this industry is futile when you've got such crazy turnover. Yep. Right. Yeah. When, when a guy can, can walk down the street and he's got six places and they're all paying 75 cents a mile and they're all open trucks, you're not keeping drivers long. You know, the, the second you offend them or piss them <laughs> off just a little bit, they're gone, you know, and you, you, you really have to hold your hand and, and treat them like a baby because yeah. you're, you're going to be in serious issue if you don't. You're talking like they're snowflakes. Oh, I have a hard time with that. That's why I, I, that's why I just had to bail. I had to bail. I couldn't do it. I literally could not do it. You know, they wanted to bring me to the office to, to talk to these guys in the train. And I'm like, there's no way I could do this. Jerry's like, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably better off. Figure out something else. I said, yeah, let, let me go do that. And I'll, I'll take my chances. And I said, just hire somebody in to do the human resources type stuff. Because there you I said, go. there's no way in hell I can do that. Hey, Joel. Hey. Joel, uh, Joel, you were saying about – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Joel, if you need a power only, if you end up in California, I got an 80,000-pound power only for you to test. Oh, good. Going to Texas. I will probably be out there – well, it, it, will it be power only? You know what? I, I can try and get out there on a power only. If you've got something like that, absolutely. That would be a, a cool thing to, to do. So I'll yeah. see what I can, we, we just, I can put together. Yeah, you know, we just throw eighty thousand, uh, you know, eighty thousand in one of our reefers, and you can tow it to Dallas and leave it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. <laughs> there you go. Now, was, let's negotiate was... price here. Come on. Yeah. That, yeah. I'll, I'll, I want no, twenty-eight dollars a mile, or I don't even start my hold, truck. So. Hold on. Wait a minute. We're going to make this more interesting. I'm the broker. <laughs> you get fifteen oh. percent, Kevin. You get fifteen. <laughs> but we're going to cap it at that. You know, that's the maximum we can allow you to earn is fifteen percent, Kevin. You cap that. Oh man! But, uh, I won't no, no, I, I have a, I have a rule in place immediately, nine. starting right now. <laughs> I'm the broker. TJ and Joel, you're not allowed to talk to each other. <laughs> that would be back soliciting. Yeah, that's right. 
That's hey, we've funny. got some other speakers that want to jump in here. So, uh, Lowell, hey, jump in. Can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Hey, for an uh, idea for uh, another space that you're looking for, I would love to see one about heavy haul. We're up in Alberta here, and we do some pretty crazy stuff. And, and uh, I can't really relate to 80,000 pounds very often. So if that's something you would be willing to have a space on, that'd be great. Um, so, you know, I would. Um, let me tell you where I am on that. It, it has been about, um, in my trucking career, it was about 35 years ago that I was doing stuff over 80,000. I had a partnership with two other guys. One was a broker, but he had moved so much really big, heavy haul stuff that we partnered with him. Um, and I had another guy that owned some trucks. We all got together and we had a, an 11 axle set up and uh, I learned a lot about it. Uh, didn't do a whole lot of the driving. I was doing a lot more of the logistics permits and that kind of stuff. So honestly, I, I don't really feel all that qualified to lead a heavy haul discussion. I could talk about physics and engines and specs, but I don't have that real world experience. We'd have to find somebody that wanted to kind of co-host that one. Right. So if you know anybody, yeah. <laughs> send somebody my way that, that has good experience and that would want to co-host something. Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know if you can see my profile picture there, but that's a 1250 Kamatsu hole. weighs about 130,000 kgs so, on an off-road situation there. So. so are you volunteering to co-host with me? <laughs> if, I'm not, if I'm in service and, uh, and able to talk that day, absolutely. It's just trouble. I'm in and out of service all day, too, right? Up here, we don't have great cell sig signals yeah. in the province, right? So... Uh, but I would be definitely willing. Yeah, to, it, like we're we're trying to spec better trucks. But I, I ran the idea of a Volvo to the fleet that I drive for, and they they're, they want to stick with Packer, and I know there's problems with that. But uh, I'm, I'm thinking about going. You know, here's too. here's where I think, and Joel, jump in here with me on this. You and I mm -hmm. talked about this before. I even made the statement that. You know, they have their iTorque spec, which I think is an awesome idea. I made the statement, I wish the next spec they would come out with would be pure heavy haul. Because mm -hmm. I really think that if you could change attitudes, Volvo should be dominating the heavy haul market right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at Europe, and this is something that me and Henry were, were talking with a, a gentleman from Finland. When you look at some of the stuff they're doing on a regular basis, that's just normal to them. Twin 45s, uh, 167,500 pounds down what he described as two-lane billy goat trails. That's just normal <laughs> to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, that's outlaw and, trucking. Yeah, that's just that's normal to them, and they're just shocked that we're not running, you know, twin 45s over here with 97,000 pounds on the deck. <laughs> like, okay. Um, yeah, so, that's it is it is interesting that here in the states, you know, when you say Volvo, everybody's like, "Oh, that's that's that truck can't it's a plastic away. truck." You get over in Europe, and that's kind of you know that 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 seven hundred and fifty horsepower sixteen liter. That's kind of the thing, you know what I mean? Between I that and Scania, so yeah, yeah, that yeah, would it would be pretty damn cool. But uh, like today um, I'm cruising down the highway with uh, empty trailer, and I'm just put a hundred thousand pounds. So, right. No, no, exactly right. So um, I'm going to pick it, up a hole that once I load it, I'll be in about 230,000 pounds down the highway. So right. With right. 40 wheels on the ground, right? On yeah. The trailer, so. yeah. Yeah. Here, here was, 
here was my most recent driving experience with a heavy hull setup. Um, I forget the length of the trailer, the total weight empty. I think we were at like 63,000 pounds. Uh, maybe it was 57. It was somewhere in that range. Uh, it was an 18 speed, which I haven't driven in. in I never owned one, so I'd driven a few, but didn't have a ton of experience with them. And here was the setup. Um, we were just outside of Denver on, what is that, 287 that heads out of Denver up yes. in the mountains. I used to live up there. Yep. Um, at rush hour, 4.30 in the afternoon, so everybody's heading home. It's a winding uphill. Mm -hmm. So I've got this beautiful truck that this guy's letting me drive, and he's in there, the owner's in there, and Bruce is in there. And what we were testing was the power box. And Bruce has got the power box controller in the back with the sleeper. He's back there with the owner. I'm up front driving. I've got all this traffic. We're winding. I'm long. I'm heavy. I'm, and Bruce is back there switching things without telling me. <laughs> Unbelievable what happens when you go from zero to six on that power box and you don't know it's coming. <laughs> Jeez, what a! It's a wonder I didn't wipe somebody out or blow up an engine on that trip. I was, oh, that is drop funny. a drive shaft on the hill. I, it's one, yeah. normally I, I'm not nervous in a truck, you know, after a million months, but I was sweating bullets. I, I got to tell you, we do some similar things where I've got three or four engineers in the back. They're all on their laptops, but I got a co-pilot. <laughs> And he's in my ear saying, they're going to do this. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're not just back there. I, can, I feel your pain. Oh, man, that was crazy. Oh, shoot. Yeah. That's funny. So, another thing, Kevin, yep. have, you, have, you seen, have you seen that spacecraft 53-foot coach that they had at Florida RV show this year on YouTube? You should check it out. It's crazy. It's yeah, I, have, uh, I, I, I saw a little bit of it. I didn't have really time to watch the whole video, but I've got it bookmarked. I need to go back to it. 10,000 watts, 10, watts of solar with a garage where uh, yet it's not even available yet. The guy built it to put a Volvo full electric SUV in the back and be able to charge it off grid. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it that's is pretty cool. Yeah, hey, speaking of which, since, since somebody brought up electric, I'm going to touch on this and then we're going to call it quits for the day. Um, so I've uh, all of a sudden the headlines today were all about Schneider's new large scale Southern California EV charging depot. Um, <laughs> Freightliner built a, a depot in like downtown LA. It's close to the highway. Mm -hmm. um, they're supposed to be charging like, I don't know, 30 or 40 some trucks at once right now. They want it to be 100 trucks by the end of the year, I think. But here's what bothers me. Several of these headlines keep talking about zero emission. I, somebody tell me where the power's coming okay, from. Okay, okay. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. When they say zero emissions in regard to a truck, they are supposed to say zero tailpipe emissions then they should start doing yes, that because that's yes, bullshit that, the way that they, is the way that it. it is supposed to be said they are always supposed to say zero tailpipe emissions they are not zero emission vehicles i i agree with you they they that, should always make sure they include that tailpipe uh they never do as far as that, i can no, find th very rarely 
very rarely. I, I All these headlines, zero emission trucks. I'm like, bullshit, this is not zero emission anything. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. It is misleading as well. well. Joel, with, where, where, with uh-huh. where you were going with the conversation, I thought we were finally going to get to talk about iced tea. Mm. Yeah, there you go. The weights and the weights and yep. length laws. Yeah. That, which all needs to be changed, and we can do a, an entire another show on that. I'm oh, sure. we probably should. Yeah, yes, that'd be a good yes. topic. Yep, yep. There's that. Oh, real quick here before we wrap things up, um, I don't know if you guys saw the the Range Energy trailer where they've got the electric drive axle on the trailer. Uh, last time I was out in the Bay Area, I actually got to swing by and, and talk to those people. Um, that is a cool little system they've got going on to do a hybrid assist uh, with the trailer and uh, just a a real interesting technology. Um, I've put them in contact with several people that I work with in regards to some suspension stuff and, and uh, looking forward to possibly working with them people moving forward um, uh, as they, you know, further develop and refine the trailer. It it seems to me like this concept has a lot of potential. It it, it 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 does. Uh, I, you know, we've kind of talked about this in the past. The problem when you start putting a lot of money into a trailer, uh, right? The, you know, the, you got you get you get a twenty year shows. yeah, you get a twenty year life cycle going on a trailer like UPS does. Um, you know, they're going to spend X amount on it, and it if if there's a major failure or you know, there's there's a lot of hurdles to overcome there. I love the concept. I, I love the idea. I, I don't know if it's viable or not. And I wouldn't know until I actually got my hands on one and actually started to use it. They were peppering me with all those questions. You think this is, I said, you know what, unless I run this, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know that anybody can say until you actually run the damn thing. We, we can speculate that it looks promising, but yep. we, it, We'll go back to the law of unintended consequences again. Yep. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's let bring another speaker in here as we try to awesome. wind down. <laughs> hey, 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 Mac, jump in here. Hello. There you are. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I, I was trying to listen. And, and Is this recorded, Kevin, so I can go back and listen? It is. It's both recorded on Twitter itself, and I should be able to tell you how to go find it, but I'm not sure if I know how to go find it in Twitter, but it's there. Okay. Probably it'll be on my timeline, I think. Okay. Also, if you're using our app, it's it's recorded on there. It probably won't show up for about 24 hours on our app. Okay, cool. Um, I just wanted to say real briefly that I am, I am using the max mileage. I talked to Henry about this for a little while in the the problems I've been having with the asphaltine and the filters turning black and goopy. When I use the Hotshot Secret, it turns my filters brown and they fill up pretty fast and turn black very fast. Uh, I've had probably two weeks of running underneath of, of using the uh, max mileage and I have not had any problems with the filters as of yet. And hey, Joel, um, mm-hmm. any explanation that comes to mind for you on that one? Uh, it, it's so hard to say on fuel because the quality varies from place right. to place to place. If you're filling up at the same location every time, you know, fine-tuning that chemistry, 
maybe something's just a little off in this formula, but it's just a little bit right on on this other one. I could see that happening. Or there's a chance, you know, I, I fueled up at this place and I just got a boatload of, of bad fuel. It, it's it, There's so many variables there. If you find something that works, stick with it. No, I'm not fueling up at the same place. Uh, I'm fueling up at the same chain, though, either Petro or TA. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. Some of the guys. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're all right. You're all right. Go ahead. Some of the guys have said they fill up with the LUPS. They found they find better uh, results with LUPS fuels yeah. and the D13s. So here's here's another show we need to do. I need to go find a fuel expert. I, I, I want to finally find out how the whole supply chain on fuel works because I've had people that should know that have told me it doesn't matter where you fuel up. They all use the same jobbers and you could be getting. <sighs> so I, I want to know how does this fuel supply system really work? So this is this is true to a degree. And I was going to work with the Hot Shot Secret people and hopefully get Henry on board here where we're going to start pulling hopefully fuel samples at all the places we stop at and send it into their lab to start Excellent. analyzing stuff from all around the country. I Excellent. think that's the only true way to get a handle on this. My understanding is is that all truck stops in a certain region will have access to two or three different refineries in general, and they're going to buy wherever it's the cheapest. That's what I thought. Um, that's, that, right. that's, ex- that's what's going to happen. Now, where the variance comes is how well does that chain maintain their tanks are they doing all of the hygiene things to their tanks that they are supposed to be doing sometimes they are sometimes they're not is it an above ground tank is it a below ground tank makes a huge difference on condensation and water dropout there's a lot of things going on there so and and um, wouldn't this have to be another factor lots of states have their own fuel requirements yeah, yes, uh, regions well carb will have certain right. requirements in California where cetane is through the roof where, where they'll have to meet it and Texas has some areas like that certain areas have to have to have super high cetane in, in order to to sell it. So I it's hard for me to imagine based on some of the sampling that I have done and we didn't do a lot of this but in the past we'd go to truck stops in our area in the wintertime, pull samples, put their stuff in the freezer, see who freezes. You know, just yeah, very simple right. stuff like that. And there were huge swings and differences between um, different uh, chains. But I think that was all more of a housekeeping thing on the chains part rather than the actual. Uh, adding to that, Joel, the, the one part that I do hear is different from one brand to another is their actual additive package that they will get from the refinery, especially I don't know that place so, so now my understanding on this as well is that if they do have a an additive package variance that the jobber that's delivering that is just going to dump it in the truck just before they they drop the fuel right. in their tank the stuff that comes out of the refinery is all basically the same stuff and it's going into a, a tank truck and then if that truck stop you can go into truck stop sometimes you'll see where it says premium fuel um, that's just treated diesel fuel, just like you're going to treat in your tank. They're just doing it before they drop it into the storage tank. So um, right. I I think most of the time when you are having luck at a specific chain, they're just doing a better job at taking care of their tanks. 
that that a, would be my opinion. I don't know that for sure, but that would be my opinion. You're talking about uh, fuel samples. This is what Henry Henry and I talk quite a bit. Um, and the one thing he suggested, and, and I agree with him, is getting my fuel sample. Do you have a, a lab that you normally yes. use that you trust? Yes. Yes, Hot Shot Secrets Lab. Uh, let me see if I've got the paper right in front of me. Um, I mean, I can find. Yeah, I can find them out. That's cool. Hey, Just their yeah, lab. Hey, Joel. They test fuel. Yes. Just because I like to double and triple check and rule out as many variables as we can on stuff like this. Uh, if you guys get a chance, occasionally split a sample, send it to me, and I'll I'll run them through Polaris. <laughs> If you can send 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 me and Henry some sample bottles. Okay, we'll do. Uh, and I'll get some also sent out from. And yeah, I think we should use both labs just to compare just, and contrast. I think yep. it makes all kinds of sense. Yeah, um, we'll do the, that. The Hot Shot Secrets is LSI Dash Labs um, PM Scout. Uh, <laughs> TheOilLab.com is their website. TheOilLab.com. Okay. Um, now, let me ask you another question. Are you pulling the sample from the tank, or are you pulling it from the uh, valve on the DAVCO or whatever filter assembly you're using? No. Whenever we were pulling samples and doing this, it was coming right out of the, the nozzle. i just catch a quick. Oh. A quick sample as we were filling the tank, and that's that's the way that I was I was doing it back in the, the day. reason he, the reason well, he was bringing this up, Joel, is he's got an ongoing problem with his trucks. So you don't know if there's something in there growing, whatever, that to get a mm-hmm. sample out of his actual tank. What gotcha. He, what he's needing to be treating for to clear up the problems that he's currently having. So if you want to know that if you have bugs, the simplest way to do this is to put get a baby uh, baby food jar or any small jar, mason jar, whatever, fill it up yeah. about halfway and set it in the sun. And then if you start to get slimy growth in there, you've got bugs. You've got bugs. Yep. Okay. Very simple to, to check for bugs that way. Yeah, just it's it's the same process we use to make yogurt. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah, I was on the phone. <laughs> I was on the phone with Henry the other day, and I had these. Uh, when when I went to change the fuel filter, I, I poured it into a bottle from the bottom, you know, and uh, I had some type of uh, like globules. I guess yep. that's the best way to describe yep. it. Yep. Yep. And they were now, they were brownish. So typically. What, Typically, fuel treatment, regular fuel treatment, will not kill bugs. You have right. to buy a um, biocide. Yeah, biocide. That, that's exactly right. And some of them are called tank sterilization. Some of them are called biocides. But that's what you have to have. There's a ton of them out there, and they all seem to work. And so is that is that what that brown globule is is that yes. bugs or is that asphalt that's most likely if it's brown it's bugs asphaltine should it's be dark black. black and greasy uh, yeah there's the the bugs will be really slimy slimy and like asphaltine yeah. tends to be a little stickier and settle yes. to the bottom more often yep. uh the 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 other thing we have to remember about this because it's living okay. things Many times you can treat, see an improvement, and three weeks later it's back. Right. If you don't kill it completely, it will grow again. These are living things. I had a 
an, an older Volvo with a D16 in it that had bugs, and I had to sterilize that tank six yep. times before I've I seen some got really it nasty yep. case. Here's my advice if you want the best biocides, don't yep. get them at the truck stop. Go, Go to, to Marina. West Marine. Yes, yes. Yep. I 100% agree with that. Go to West Marine, get the strongest damn biocide yep. they have or recommend, and do it multiple times. You know, do it the first time and then do it again in a do couple of months. And, yep. 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 West and Marine. It, okay. Yes. West if Marine. You're just area, ask them for their best biocide. If you're in an area that has a lot of biodiesel and you see temperature swings between noon and midnight that are pretty great where you get a lot of condensation, yeah. um, you probably ought to just do it on a regular basis. That's not yeah, just you know where I'm at. I mean, I'm not. I'm 20 minutes from Volvo headquarters, so you know where I'm at. Oh, that yeah. So you yeah. get that. You get that temperature swing, high humidity. Yeah. And if you have big fuel tanks as well. Oh, um, here's another know, trick. Keeping fuel tanks full will I, really help to eliminate condensation dropout. Yeah. That's what I was uh, yeah. just gonna say. Keep them full. Yeah. Especially I do. when they're sitting. Yeah. 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 Hey, we we've got what you guys are killing me. We've got another speaker here, uh, <laughs> and here I am. I, Mark, jump in. <laughs> I just want to add to that conversation about uh, uh, brand fuel or you know whatever. I used to work for an environmental company, and we were taking care of uh, terminals, you know, fuel ter mm -hmm. terminals and stuff. So. When fuel came, either from Rafe, it's all the same fuel, same gas, and mm -hmm. each brand, like Shell or Mobil, whatever it is, usually add their own additives or make it, let's say, make, yes. it's made in its own name. That's what it is. But, you know, general fuel that came of the tanker ship or refinery is all the same really mm -hmm. there Correct. is no brand there is no brand to it that that is my understanding as well it's basically all the same and when there is a difference it's all just it's an additive that they drop into the existing fuel to make it theirs hey, and um, yeah so yeah. you know yeah. speak speaking of that I I really pay attention to marketing and, and marketing hype and the way they say things. I forget what brand it is, but there's one of the gas stations. They're talking about gas, not diesel. And they make this claim, but it, it caught my ear because of the way they said it. That What they claim is no other gas on the market gets better fuel economy. <laughs> that was mobile, I think. That was what, mobile. They, but what do, do do people understand what that sentence really means? It nothing. sounds like they're saying their gas gets better fuel mileage, but uh, right. they're not saying that. No, but they said there's no yeah. other gas gets better fuel mileage. They're saying I, we're, we're the same as everybody else. But yeah, right. We're excited about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, advertisement work. I guess. Uh, all, sure all marketers are liars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! But no, I, my understanding is exactly what you explained. That it, it's all basically the same stuff, and it just it boils down to how well people are taking care of their tanks and what individual additives that people are dropping into it and it, it's kind of it's kind of odd because you know people would say oh if additives work they'd add them at the refinery <laughs> well they do 
<laughs> they yeah, do. Good point. All right. My warning just popped up. My battery on my laptop's about to die. I don't <laughs> plug it in for this reason so that it forces me to end the show today. Uh, All right. Joel, awesome. uh, Henry, uh, is where'd Jamie go? Jamie's still around. All of you guys, the speakers that jumped in, fantastic stuff today. Thanks for all the help on this. Uh, I, I, this show turned out to be way more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Oh, it's always a fun topic. Yeah, really turned <laughs> yeah, out to be a good topic. I think it's better on space, Twitter space. <laughs> it, it, this kind of topic really does work well on this format. So that that's why we're going to continue to do spaces. And I, I'm, I'm trying to add one more, but I, I just got to get my sketch. And I'm not doing a very good job of getting my schedule under control, so I better not add one yet. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll continue doing this. Thanks to everybody that joined us. Have a great weekend, um, Joel and Henry. You guys have any anything you want to close with? Then Jamie, if you're still around. Well, I actually I got to get rolling here because I got three engineers on hold waiting for me. There you go. So tell them we said hi. All right, I'll talk to y'all later. (laughs) See ya, Henry. Just on what you were talking about with the testing. Testing's funny. I just did a month long test and. All the results came up not the way I expected. I mean, it was one of them things that sounded like a truck stop story. When I was lightest, I did my worst on fuel margin. When I was the heaviest, I did my best, which was unusual because of just the way circumstances played out over the whole month. But Yeah, and you got to know that stuff, and it takes a lot of years of testing to try to figure out a lot of that nuanced stuff, so that's why we keep harping on that. Great stuff. Uh, I think Jamie must have been busy. Um, Thanks to all the other speakers that jumped in and uh, have a great weekend, everybody.